Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is a podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. We are bringing old school basketball to a new school audience. And today, we bring you the story of Game 3 of the 1991 NBA Finals. It was the Lakers versus the Bulls, Magic Johnson versus Michael Jordan, the King of the Mountain versus a new challenger. For Magic, it was his ninth trip to the NBA Finals, and he already had five rings to his credit, and he was looking for his sixth. He had accomplished pretty much everything there was to accomplish in basketball. He was already a three-time MVP. He had gone to the All-Star Game every year of his career up to that point. He was a ferocious competitor, and he wanted one more ring. Jordan, on the other hand, was going to the finals for the very first time. He had led the league in scoring for six of the previous seven seasons, but his reputation at the time was not what it is today. Back then, he was considered probably the best scorer in league history, but not a winner. People said that he played too selfishly, scoring 40 and 50 points, but losing to better teams in the playoffs, like the Celtics or the Pistons. The Bulls were called a one-man show, not a complete team. For Jordan, this particular matchup also had a personal aspect to it. When Michael Jordan was in high school, his basketball hero was Magic Johnson. He looked up to Magic, and now he was going to have to defeat his hero if he wanted to be a champion. Of course, we all know that Jordan's competitiveness is off the chart. He could have been playing against his own mother, and he would have tried to destroy her to get a championship. The hype around the 1991 NBA Finals was palpable. At the time, the previous five league MVP awards had gone to either Magic Johnson or Michael Jordan. These were the two best players in the NBA. Larry Bird was already in decline and would only play one more season, although nobody knew that at the time, and Isaiah Thomas had just been vanquished by Jordan the previous week. I do not hide the fact that I am a Lakers fan. I grew up in Southern California during the Showtime days. My producer, Jacob, is also a Lakers fan as he is my son and he has inherited his love of the team from me. I was so excited in 1991. The Lakers had missed the finals the year before when the Portland Trailblazers went. So to have the Lakers back in the finals felt like order had been restored. In fact, I still have my t-shirt from that finals. It's a black t-shirt that features a picture of Magic and Michael. So this story is particularly special to me. This story is also very personal because I was there for game three of the 1991 NBA Finals. As you know, I usually tell these stories every week from the third person perspective. I have to research the stories and then share them with you. But for today, we are going to go a slightly different direction. This means that I will be telling the story mostly from the first person. At the time of the 1991 Finals, I was 16 years old and in my third year of high school. My dad was a Lakers season ticket holder, which gave us first priority to purchase tickets for the Finals. But this was before the days of the internet, so tickets had to be purchased in person at the forum where the Lakers played at the time. 
We got up early and arrived just before 6 o'clock for tickets. We were one of the first ones there, and within the hour there were about 400 others. It was explained by the Lakers staff that we were going to have to be put into a holding pen, and then they would give us a number ticket as we exited the pen. The number on the ticket would be our place in line. Also, each of us would be limited to only eight total playoff tickets to help ensure that everyone got a ticket. As they were herding us into the pen, they were making sure that only season ticket holders got into the pen and nobody else. Well, my dad was a season ticket holder, not me. So the person initially told me that I had to wait outside the pen. My dad improvised and said, oh, this is my son. He's only 16 years old. The person paused for a moment and then nodded and said, okay, fine. This is how I found myself inside the pen with my dad. Once we were all in there, they began to let us out one by one and they handed us a ticket as we exited. Now the tickets were in random order. The first person out of the pen did not necessarily get number one. As we approached the exit of the pen, I noticed that the person handing out the number tickets was a different person than the one who let us in. The person with the number tickets was giving one to everybody as they exited. So while I was only 16 years old and a minor, I already had thick facial hair. I was also a football player, so I carried a lot of muscle on my frame at the time. Basically, I looked like I was 25 years old. So the ticket person gave my dad a ticket and then handed me a ticket too. And I was not going to give it back. My dad looked at his ticket and got really excited because he got number 18. Out of 400 people getting number 18 was awesome. I then looked at my own ticket and saw that I had gotten number 13. We were both ecstatic. Now the guy behind me got number 200 or something and he overheard my dad and I talking and offered my dad $50 for his number 18 ticket. My dad did not even think twice. He handed over the ticket and the guy slipped him 50 bucks. As we walked away, I said to my dad, you know, you probably could have gotten $100 for it. And he said, yeah, but I didn't want to get in trouble with the Laker people. So I just took it and walked away. Then we had to get into the regular line as the 13th person in line. With a limit of eight total tickets, my dad decided to get one pair of tickets for the first home game of each round of the playoffs. Now keep in mind that there was no guarantee that the Lakers would even play in each round of the playoffs. If the Lakers got knocked out early from the playoffs, the tickets for the games that were not played could be returned for a full refund. Anyway, the way that the schedule worked out, the first Lakers home game for the finals was game three. Now this is a good place to take a break and I'll be right back with the story of game three of the 1991 NBA Finals. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. We here at the Sports History Network proudly partner with 26 podcasts, all revolving around the history of sports. But did you know that many of our hosts were sports history authors way before they started their shows? It's true. We've got Joe Ziemba, host of When Football Was Football. Joe Zagurski, host of Pro Football in the 1970s. Mark Morthier, host of Yesterday Sports. Tommy Phillips, host of Lombardi Memories, and Scott Adamson, co-host of From the 55-Yard Line. All these authors have many books for you to choose from. To check them out, go to our website at sportshistorynetwork.com slash sportshistorybooks. Pick up your copy today! Soundtrack provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io.
Welcome back to the show and let us continue with the story of Game 3 of the 1991 NBA Finals. I do want to give a little bit of context here. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, this was the ninth trip to the NBA Finals for Magic Johnson, but the first trip for Michael Jordan. Because the Bulls had the better regular season record, they got to have games 1, 2, 6, and 7 at the old Chicago Stadium. And the Lakers would get games 3, 4, and 5 at the Forum. Going into the finals, the Lakers knew that they had to win one of the first two games in Chicago to even have a chance. According to AC Green, most of the Bulls played scared in game 1 since it was their first time playing on that stage. The only one who seemed ready from the beginning was Michael Jordan, who scored 36 points that day. But in the end, it was a 3-pointer by Sam Perkins that won the game for the Lakers. I was sitting on the end of the couch when Perkins shot the ball. When it went through, I literally jumped up on my coffee table and screamed, yes! In game two, the Bulls came out with much more intensity. They won the game by 19 points. It was also the game where Michael Jordan made that famous layup where he switches the ball from his right hand to the left hand in midair. I had never been so deflated by a single basketball move. I said to myself at the time, we have no chance if Jordan is going to make shots like that. And how right I was. Now that takes us to game three. It was Friday, June 7th. In California, we were still in school, but I could not concentrate that day. I could barely hear anything that my teachers were saying. All I was thinking about was that I was going to go to the NBA Finals that night with my dad. All of my friends were so jealous. I had two pairs of Magic Johnson Converse shoes. I had a white pair and a black pair, and I decided to wear one of each. We arrived at the forum at 4.30 in the afternoon when the doors opened. It was sunny and warm. The tip-off was at 6 p.m. local time, which seems early for an NBA basketball game, but this game was going to be televised nationally, and they did not like to start games after 9 p.m. on the East Coast. As we walked from our car to the door, I noticed that there were way more people hanging around than for a typical Lakers game. This was because a bunch of people were looking for tickets. We must have been asked a dozen times if we had an extra ticket or just willing to sell our tickets for the game. Of course, we were not selling at any price. We came to see the game. We found our seats way up near the top of the arena. The energy in the building was ready to explode. The Lakers needed to win this game to take control of the series. Vlade Divac was jumping center against Bill Cartwright and won the tip. The forum went crazy just for winning the tip. I knew that this was going to be a game like I had never seen before. The game itself was an incredible battle. The lead was never that big either way. It was a close game all the way through, and I was cheering so hard for the Lakers that I was practically sweating. My voice was starting to go hoarse. I never wanted a victory so badly for the Lakers. With just 39 seconds left in the game, the Bulls were leading 90-88, to and they had the ball. They inbounded to Jordan, he drove right against Byron Scott, and stopped for an 8-foot jump shot, but missed. Vladi grabbed the rebound, but you could tell that Vladi was nervous. He did not want to be hanging onto the ball for too long. He desperately looked to get the ball into Magic's hands. He found Magic in the corner, and the Lakers headed down court. The Lakers needed to score on this possession. There were now 28 seconds left, and the Lakers were down by only one point. Any basket would do. The Lakers set up the offense, and Magic dribbled to the perimeter with his back to the basket. Jordan had the assignment of guarding Magic all night, and he gave Magic all kinds of fits. Magic is looking for a cutter, but could not find one. He finally picked up his dribble and turned to face the basket. Now that was probably a mistake, because Jordan was practically inside Magic's jersey. That's when Vlade flashed to the free throw line for the pass, and the pass was off. Jordan had gotten a finger on it. The pass was at knee level, and Vlade had to bend down just to keep from turning it over. He fumbled with the ball, and Horace Grant and Michael Jordan converged on him. 
He did not have solid possession of the ball. Vlade finally took one dribble toward the basket. Scottie Pippen slid over, but he did not get there in time. Pippen was still moving his feet when contact was made. Vlade's weird off-balance layup slash hook shot hit off the glass and into the basket for the score. The basket counted and won. The arena exploded. I could not even hear myself and I was screaming. Vlade did not know what to do with himself after the ball went in. He just made a potential game winner in the NBA Finals against Michael Jordan. Two years earlier, he was still in Yugoslavia dreaming of someday playing in the NBA. He had Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan posters on his wall as a teenager. These were his heroes. And here he was on the biggest basketball stage in the world with Magic Johnson as a teammate and Michael Jordan as the opponent. And he could still barely speak English at the time. After the shot, he immediately runs over to Magic Johnson with his arms in his head, tucked in like he was a little boy looking for approval from his daddy. It's almost like he was saying, did I do good? Magic just bear hugged him. The Lakers looked like they were going to win. Vlade just had to make his free throw and that would put the Lakers up by two. And he made that free throw. And there was still nine seconds on the game clock. And that was just too much time for Michael Jordan. As I was sitting in my seat, I was thinking that the Lakers needed to double team Jordan and make someone else shoot the ball. You double on Jordan, you play deny on Paxson, forcing the Bulls to look for Pippen or Horace Grant. I mean, that would make sense, right? The Bulls inbounded the ball at the baseline. They were going to go full court. They got it to Jordan with Byron Scott guarding him. Jordan was moving quickly, but not full speed. Byron Scott was just shadowing him. Scott did not want Jordan to beat him on the dribble, so he was giving Jordan a bit of space. The entire building was waiting for the double team, but it never came. They never doubled Jordan, and he had the ball in his hands. Jordan got all the way to the mid post and shot a short 10-foot jumper. It was a clean look because Jordan stopped and popped before Byron Scott could even react. Vlade was starting to come over, but it was too late. The shot was good, and the game was tied, with only three seconds left on the clock. The Lakers would have one last chance to win this game. Any shot would do. Even a single free throw would do. The inbound play was intended to go to Sam Perkins, who had hit the game-winning three-pointer back in game one. But just as the referee handed the ball to Magic Johnson for the inbound, Michael Jordan stepped over the line into Magic space, taking a purposeful delay of game violation. Now there was no consequence or foul for it since it was the first delay of game for the Bulls. It was simply a reset and do it again. But that was enough to see the play that the Lakers were running. And since the Lakers had no more timeouts, they could not draw up another play. They would have to run the same play again. But now the Bulls knew what was coming. It was a 1000 IQ move on Jordan's part. Magic took the ball again, but this time the Bulls shifted their defense to remove Perkins as an option. Magic now needed to look elsewhere. The secondary option was to Vlade at the top of the key. Magic made the pass, Vlade caught it cleanly and began to drive to the basket, but Jordan quickly closed on Vlade, who was already being guarded by Horace Grant. Jordan got his hands on the ball and poked it away. Byron Scott picked it up and shot an off-balance three-pointer. It missed, and the teams were now going to overtime. I was emotionally exhausted sitting in my seat. I felt like I could not take an overtime. It was just too much. My emotional gas tank was empty. I felt like I had nothing left to give to support my team. Jordan had actually injured his toe on that last possession of regulation, but being Michael Jordan, he decided to stay in the game. I have re-watched that game a number of times since being there. Jordan was limping ever so slightly, and he was doing everything he could to walk as normally as possible so that the Lakers did not realize that he was injured. 
He did not want to show weakness. Of course, from my seat, I could not tell that Jordan was injured at all. He looked fine to me. I only found out he was injured afterwards while watching the replay. With three minutes left, it was still tied 94, and that was when Jordan took over. But then, Pippen fouled out, which made me think that maybe the Lakers had a chance because the score was again tied at 96. With no Pippen on the court, a window of opportunity opened up with two and a half minutes left to play. But then, Michael Jordan happened again. The Lakers could not score another basket, while the Bulls finished by scoring the final eight points of the game. Jordan had four, and Grant had four, to close out the victory. But it was not just that the Lakers were down two games to one, it was how it happened. The Bulls were so tenacious on defense, I had never seen Magic have to work that hard on offense. He either had Jordan or Pippen guarding him every minute while he was on the court. They made Magic look human, and as a Lakers fan, I had never seen anything like that before. At the end of the game, the Lakers just looked tired, while the Bulls looked like they were ready to play another game, like they were on the playground waiting for another run. Except for Vladi Divac, the Lakers were mostly aging veterans, trying to make one last valiant stand. On the other side of the court, the Bulls, except for Bill Cartwright, were mostly young guys looking to conquer new territory. It's like I could feel Showtime ending. It was a changing of the guard. Sometimes you hear people in the media talk about passing of the torch from one generation to the next, and I cannot think of a single elite athlete who willingly passed the torch to the next generation. If the next generation wanted the torch, then they were going to have to take it by force. And that is what I felt happening that night. Magic did not pass the torch to begin the Michael Jordan era. Michael snatched that torch from Magic's hands. Torches have never been passed in sports. Torches are taken. As my dad and I walked out of the forum that night, I felt like I had just gone through the hardest workout of my life. I was physically exhausted. I was trying to process what I had just seen. We listened to the postgame show on the radio in the car on the way home, KLAC Radio, AM 570 in Los Angeles. The conversation mostly consisted of trying to figure out what adjustments the Lakers could make to get back into the series. But in reality, there were no adjustments possible for Michael Jordan. He was a hungry lion, and there was nothing the Lakers could do about it. In order to win the series, the Lakers would have to win games four and five in LA, and then win one out of two in Chicago. It was a nearly impossible task. And the Chicago Bulls proved how impossible it was. They easily won game four by 15 points, and then closed out the series in game five, winning 108 to 101. To his credit, Magic Johnson went into the Bulls locker room at the forum to congratulate the victors. Michael finally had his first championship, and he cried tears all over that trophy with his father by his side. No longer could anybody say that he could not win it all. He was no longer just some selfish scorer. He was a champion. It has been nearly 31 years since that game, but it was still one of the best basketball experiences of my life. To see Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan battle it out for an NBA championship was amazing. But as we drove home and pulled into our driveway, I was full of confidence that the Lakers just needed to get a little younger and the following year they would be back for a rematch. What nobody knew at the time was that Magic had probably already contracted HIV. But as I turned the TV to ESPN to watch that highlights, I still had hope for 1992. Well, this was a very personal story for me, and I hope you enjoyed it. Join us next time when we share a profile on Bill Sharman. He is on the NBA 75 list, and he is the man that invented the morning shoot-around. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. 
Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care and see you soon. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.